Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is a former Amazonians. So, so far, so many former Amazonians have been on the show, and they all have one thing in common. The language is always the same. So these guys go through a, a very thorough training, I take it, so that they all speak precisely. It's always methodology, and uh, so it's always fun. So he's been in multiple positions uh, at Amazon, and today he's the founder of Mixshift, which is a SaaS platform for Amazon agencies and brands. And when he's not working, he's busy with his three boys, lives in Colorado, so a lot of uh, mountain-related stuff, mountain biking, skiing, snowboarding, and hockey. Uh, so he's your typical Colorado guy. So with that, um, everybody, meet my guest, Todd Vanderstelt. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you, Nick. Good to be here. Oh, uh, pleasure to have you. So, you know, the the approach to Amazon is what Amazon does as its culture in terms of how to run a business. It's always uh, metrics, processes, everything is standardized. So this is especially important to succeed on Amazon for Amazon sellers. So... The way to run your Amazon operation at the end of the day is all about monitoring your metrics and then taking action accordingly. But as you know, there are so many different ones and people can create their own metrics if they want. But when it's all said and done, so tell us, what is your approach to using metrics? What are your favorite ones and how to use them? And give us your approach to it. Yeah, so there are a lot of metrics. Um, I, I think the the way to think about it in your mind is to separate what's an output metric versus what's an input metric. Okay, so you probably heard that before from other Amazonians on your show. Well, I have to say, I've heard, I mean, obviously we can uh, understand what it is, but how Amazon uses things can be sometimes different. I've heard controllable inputs, mm -hmm. which was a, a very important thing. But you tell us, give us the whole academic approach. Yeah. So <clears throat> generally, you know, everyone looks at the outputs. They, they tend to care about the outputs. From an Amazon perspective, you don't manage the outputs, you manage the inputs. Okay. So the problem with that, you know, if you're Amazon, you can say it's easy to do that. Uh, you know, Wall Street gives you a long leash. If you're not uh, hitting your profit margins for you know the quarter, uh, so be it. Uh, as long as you're focusing on the right inputs, uh, not every business, not every agency, uh, not every brand has the ability to purely forget about the outputs. So it's a little bit. It's not a. a I would say philosophically pure as what we operated in at Amazon. I can remember. I think in my first month on the job. Uh, at Amazon, uh, I oversaw that headphones and AV accessories business, uh, and I did a price match 
which is the right thing to do, you know, price competitiveness, uh, but ended up costing the company over $200,000 in a matter of days. And I thought for sure that I was going to be fired uh, because I came from a much more traditional uh, durable goods, white goods company uh, prior to that uh, and went into the WBR thinking, you know, I'm going to get it handed to me. And ultimately it was, you know, okay, this happened. It was the right decision. And then the focus was what's the mechanism that we can put in place so that this doesn't happen again. Right. So it was a very interesting dynamic. If you've been in like a traditional uh, uh, publicly traded company and had one of those impacts, it just doesn't go that way. But with Amazon, it was purely, okay, uh, the input was, you know, we we're focusing on price competitiveness. That was the right decision. What are the different levers that we could have pulled not to be in that situation in the future? So, you know, the issue was it was like net rotating national promos on the part of the vendor. Uh, and so, you know, we're matching Best Buy. You know, this is something that we can work with the, the vendors on, like, try to figure out, is there a, you know, guaranteed margin, a clawback? Is there a change in their marketing policies? All of those things were what was the focus rather than just looking at that profitability output. But to answer your question, you know, from my you know, looking at it from the agency as well as the brand, you know, they have the shared goals here. And, you know, a costs, advertising cost of sale is obviously one that's, uh, you know, historically been very prominent. Uh, recent years, folks are starting to focus more on tacos, right? Total advertising cost of sale. Uh, and I think that's, you're starting to see more uh, agencies begin to manage to a tacos target, which is, it's another layer removed. It makes the job more difficult, but uh, it's not really a, you know, advertising cost of sale. That's more like a return metric. Tacos is, and I, I think of this as like a financial metric. This is the margin impact that is hitting the PL uh, as a result of the advertising spend, right? Uh, whether or not the tacos is good or bad is a bit of a different conversation, requires another output metric, uh, which for me, I would say the third one that I like to see is uh, customer lifetime value. Uh, and this is one that um, you've, you know, Amazon is starting to recognize that and they publish some like new to brand metrics. Uh, we do the calculation ourselves because I want to be able to di uh, dissect uh, that CLV. Uh, so if I can look at, and we'll look at it for like the trailing 25 months, uh, separate new versus repeat customer revenue, the blended is going to be your customer lifetime value, but that's just one metric. And then you start to dive into like a Pareto analysis or cohort analysis, which products are driving it, right? If I have a, uh, you know, my tip of the spear skew that I'm break even profitability on and I'm spending advertising dollars on it and it's putting me underwater, that is like a kill versus keep analysis. We should discontinue the skew until you actually take into account the customer lifetime value and the fact that this is your inroad for acquiring new customers. They start with this variety pack uh, and then they come back six, seven, eight more times over the next 25 months. Uh, and they're buying larger pack size with a be better uh, economic uh, picture for you. So for like all those, those three, I would say are the, are the most prominent for me. Uh, CLV, use that one for uh, segmenting your, what you're willing to pay to acquire new customers, uh, which gets in a little bit below the surface of, you know, are you segmenting your customer acquisition initiatives from your brand defense initiatives? 
be able to see that and see what the actual return on, which products are you driving that toward? And you start to build out this kind of matrix of customer acquisition with an eye towards what are my actual profitability beyond that one-time conversion. Okay. So you've given us so much and uh, it's eight minutes since we started recording. So let's go back to the beginning. So you said input metrics, output metrics. So yep. in other words, don't focus on the output metric, focus on the input metric because the then you have a controlled output, right? Which is what you want. So yeah. uh, whenever I work with my clients, I always tell them, look, your job as the, the leader of this whole operation is to bring predictability to the operation, right? That's the mm -hmm. goal. So if you can predict what kind of sales, what kind of profits, what kind of inventory uh, needs, you can be prepared for it. Yep. Otherwise, you're gonna get get caught with your pants down, and then you know that's never a pretty situation. So, uh, in order to do that, you have to have these control uh, input metrics that you'll be working on. And then you went on to a cause and take cause. Aren't they actually outputs? Uh, well, they are outputs. Uh, that is. I mean, they're critical for a brand and agency. Agency is being asked to manage to an ACOS target, being asked to manage to a TACOS target. They are using the CLV uh, as a way to inform their brands of this is what you should be thinking about in terms of your ACOS target and TACOS target, right? If you can acquire these new customers, it's worth more than you're seeing in this one-time return. Uh, but those are, uh, ACOS and TACOS are also outputs. Uh, so this comes in, to play, like we focus a lot on explaining change and understanding, like getting to the bottom of your data as quickly as inefficiently as possible. So like for ACOS, right? What's what's the formula for ACOS? Well, how much you spend in advertising versus how much those advertised products generated through those ads. Yeah, so spend divided by sales. Right. And I would also say spend and sales are also output metrics. Okay, so they're not necessarily directly actionable, right? Yes. So, and we could go through every one of these metrics and, and break it down further. But for ACOS, right? So the way that uh, I look at that would be cost per acquisition divided by your average order value. Okay, it's the same same formula, right? The same result ends up with ACOS, okay? Cost per acquisition divided by average order value. Yep. Really, it comes to the same thing. Same thing. I, yep. And I would say average order value, that is an input metric. Cost per acquisition is still an output metric. Yeah, because it keeps fluctuating based on trends and everything else, right? Yep. Okay. Well, cost per acquisition divided by average order value. That's first time I'm hearing this. That is a cost. Yeah, but it, it also, I mean, it's if you think about reading the data, a lot of it's about storytelling, right? So if hey, your a cost went up month over month, that's because your spend went up more than your sales went. Like that's that doesn't help me, right? Yeah. If you exactly. to say it in terms of well, our cost per acquisition went up more than our AOV went up. Okay, a little bit clearer, right? But the cost per acquisition being an output, the way that I think about that one is your cost per click divided by your conversion rate. 
Okay, cost per click divided by conversion rate, that's your cost per acquisition. Yeah. So now, if you look at, all right, ACOS went up, I see my CPCs went up, my conversion rate went up, my AOV went down. You've got essentially two bad guys and a good guy in there, right? Your conversion rate went up, but your CPCs went up and your AOV went down. So those three together resulted in what happened with your ACOS, right? Yeah. So now if you see like, okay, CPC looks to be the primary driver of my ACOS increase, then it's a matter of you just, you've, you figured out the story horizontally and now you can dive into it vertically and say, what drove my CPCs up this month, right? Depending on how you've got your account structured, Right, you can dive into campaigns down at the search term level. Hey, it was our brand, uh, uh, our brand terms, brand defense campaigns. We're getting conquesting more this month. You know, we're overbid, and we see that our CPCs have gone up uh, as a result of this. This had this impact into our overall ACOS. Right, so there's a whole web, a narrative that you can you can uh, create. Uh, to really get to the source of what's driving that output metric, that then you have a chance of correcting, or at, at least in a starting point, explaining, figuring out if it's normal volatility, uh, and then take corrective action. So if you're an agency having the conversation with the brand, be able to clearly uh, establish, like, no messing around, like, there's no squishiness here. I'm not pontificating. I am just telling you this is the metric that drove the poor performance month over month. Here is where it's located. This was part of a strategy for us to go acquire new customers this past month. This was the impact it had. Is this something that we want to continue moving forward or do we want to course correct? Okay. So I have something here. As we talk, I'm making notes. And you mentioned average order value. You don't mean the total order that the customer places. You mean the item purchased uh, with that session on well, the product. AOV would be for advertising, right? Where if we're talking ACOS, right? So the, they will give you the full basket order attributed to that click. Right. If they purchase one product, they purchase two products. Like you could, uh, you could drive up your AOV, and this is where you kind of segment it into a, you know, a mix shift versus a rate shift. Okay, mix shift play on company name, uh, but this would be, you know, we mixed into a higher AOV product, which drove up our, our higher ASP product, which drove up our AOV, or we had a rate shift uh, where you know we were on discount last month. Uh, we're back to list price this month. Okay, the rate, uh, the actual ASP is going to go up, or it could be we've gone from you know averaging one unit per order to three units per order, and that drove up our yeah. our basket size. Yeah, because this is something that we look at. Um, I mean, I call it average item value (AIV) versus mm -hmm. AOV, average order values. I wanted to clarify because when you are looking at the conversion rate. It really is not conversion rate. In the business reports, you see the unit session percentage. So yeah. conversion rate, right? Yeah, this, this is a long-time complaint of mine. So the advertising conversion rate is the only like true conversion rate that you get out of Amazon. Okay. If you go 
to the business reports and try and look at it holistically, your best proxy for that is going to be unit session percent, but you could have multiple units per order, right? right. Which you're blind to. So, and then there's also order item session percent, right? Which is another difficult one because they will only count or they will separate an order if there's two different ASINs into two different order items. So you've got another distortion to a true conversion rate. Right. So there's other nuance in the data as well, which I'll, I'll spare you. Uh, but the way that I've always looked at that is like, it's not an apples to apples comparison between, uh, you know, a true conversion rate in advertising versus unit session percent or order item session percent. But generally, if you've, you know, your catalog's pretty stable, the trends, you know, in terms of units per order are, are fairly consistent, and you can kind of look at these over time. So you'll see, you know, if you made, uh, if you've got, you know, press that drove your traffic through the roof, got strong click-through rate, but it was a lot of people that were just, you know, uh, window shopping, didn't convert, you'll see your ad conversion rate drop. You'll also see a, the, a similar impact in your sessions, right? And it's kind of like the gap between those two that you track over time uh, as another input into your overall performance. So this is, uh, you know, another way to use this, the conversion rate, which I like is uh, in assessing uh, pricing, Right. So the list price, you know, the price elasticity, if I raise a cotton, the price five bucks versus 10 bucks, you know, what happens to my conversion rate? Uh, what happens to my total sales? This is a, a common one for especially new brands that are they know they need to invest in advertising. They just can't afford it. Right. And so they're watching every penny. And so actually had a brand last year that I was working with went through this exercise uh, you know, helped them assess the data and says, there's no way this business works for you unless you raise your ASPs uh, and tested it, you know, with a $5 increase, tested it with a $10 increase uh, and found out that there was the, they were in this magic, you know, sweet spot where actually their conversion rates had increased with the price increase. Yeah, I guess it's, uh, but you can't just increase the price, right? You, you have to, justify it with probably better content improving content and improving the perception yeah I mean, that's that it goes hand in hand so you can't you can't just okay i'll charge another ten dollars it's not gonna do it well this is uh if you're an arbitrage seller like no it, that, that's not the oh, game right yes this, this is like if you're building a brand you know, the price point does lend credibility. You know, it is part of the perspective, uh, which, you know, I'd much rather be fighting the Amazon game when you've got some brand pull, you've got some brand status or investing in building that brand rather than just trying to follow the latest, hottest trend. Yeah. Well, talk about arbitrage. You know, when I was a seller, because this is a long time ago, private label those days wasn't really the thing. It was always arbitrage. Mm -hmm. We would actually raise the price, competing with others, and win the buy box. What year was this? This is before 2013. Okay. Over 10 years ago. You know how we would do it? We would cut the price, real low, and mm -hmm. everybody else would follow suit. And then they would run out of inventory. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we we called it you know this is funny story but i uh 
I I gamified the whole thing. Everything was automated. Mm. We built this platform and it would collect the buy box data. And then uh, I had a bunch of algorithms that would make the decisions and then uh, play the buy box in terms of price and also quantity available. Mm -hmm. We were doing our own fulfillment. And so we would cut the price real low and everybody would follow suit and then just get out. And then they would be stuck with the low price yeah. and uh, run out of inventory. And then, of course, the price would go up and we would just fall back into the high price. Point. Yeah, you're, you're giving me heartburn. <laughs> but it I, was good. I, I would see that from the other side and, this, and essentially see the intraday pricing, right? Just the, the pricing tool, you can see it clicking down, moving down by a penny, 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 just to win the buy box. And then it would go back up and come back down again. You took it to another level with stocking out your competitors, which I have seen that before. Uh, but that is, that would be one where we would say that is not in the customer's best interest at Amazon. And then because you're you stock them out, right? They got a discount, but now the price is elevated, right? Uh, and from you know, this is where Amazon is always has these internal conversations of like. You know, the retailer has sole discretion in determining pricing, you know, or a marketplace. We cannot enforce this. So what's the line that we have to walk in order to protect the customers ultimately? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's at the end of the day, you know, low price is not a good thing. It puts everybody out of business, you know, drives everybody to the bottom. Mm -hmm. and, and also it hurts the brand. So I did not want to play that game. I wanted to keep the price high. Yeah, And of course, you know, at the end of the day, and as you know, ever since these repricers came out, they just, they are just dumb machines that just keep pricing it down. A, a lot mm -hmm. of these sellers don't really understand it. They don't understand what price they are selling at. They just want to win the buy box blindly. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you do that, you deserve whatever is coming to you. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. You, you have the freedom to... Yeah. So we we call those uh, death spirals. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's the typical race to the bottom. I mean, thankfully, that's no longer the case in terms of you know online arbitrage. Brands are a lot more, uh, and and Amazon, frankly, has much better relationships with those major brands. Mm -hmm. So those days, it was as you know, it's a different game. Okay. So. Um, The the unit session percentage is is a problem because I try to make use of these metrics and really yes. when you look at the advertising performance at the end of the day you really don't have access to the true conversion rate you only have access to unit session percentage because you you know and especially with the search query performance yeah you know, when you look at search query performance you're looking at the clicks. And then based on those clicks, you're looking at the, the purchases. Mm -hmm. So right there, you don't have conversion rate. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, this may be unintentionally badly invented metric, USP, is the yeah. only thing that you can use. So in your formula where you have CP, uh, uh, cost per click divided by conversion rate, mm -hmm. that is conversion rate or USP? 
Uh, cost per click divided by conversion rate to your cost per acquisition. No, no, but the conversion rate you are using, is that the USD no, or the true conversion rate? Uh, that's the true conversion rate. That's your advertising conversion rate, right? Your cost per acquisition, we're segmenting that. The advertising data is living within its own silo. I think the one step further, which I don't know if you want to go here, would be ACOS to tacos, mm -hmm. right? Because tacos, explaining changes in ACOS is difficult enough. I've given you, a, you know, an easier way or how I think about it to trying to focus on the inputs. Tacos takes it one step further, Right. And trying to explain changes in tacos is where like there, there's it, it takes some illuminating to get to the bottom of it. So, OK, so tell me if. If I'm simplifying it too much, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, the way I see it is your sales come from three different ways of generating sales. Yep. One is your paid sales. That's yep. your Amazon advertising and you have your external sales traffic you drive externally to your listings and yep. then you got your organic mm -hmm. that's pretty much it right yeah paid so. yeah paid, paid organic external now yep. when you break it down that means you've got paid traffic organic traffic external traffic Mm -hmm. and therefore you have your paid sales external sales so and then that means you have your paid clicks external clicks blah blah so from that you can pretty much calculate your conversion rate for paid organic and external and then uh, you can also look at your traffic as if you think about a pie chart, if your takeoffs has taken a nosedive, mm -hmm. by looking at that breakdown, you can pretty much tell what is affecting it, right? So your ex your external traffic, if you're pointing it to not through an ad, right, that shows up organically. So that would be in your sessions or page views, right? Well, external traffic, I'm assuming that external traffic is using attribution tags. Okay. Then we can separate that out. Yeah, so I, I would say generally um, advertising data and operational data don't sync very well for various reasons. Um, some of that has, uh, it's not necessarily by design, but it's by default because you've got, you know, multiple different teams, you know, the two pizza teams that are building up these different uh, mechanisms for, you know, building an advertising platform versus how we've always run it, right? Uh, orders data, you know, from like the all orders report versus business reports data, like they don't match, right? They don't match, no. Advertising data, you've got sales attributed back to the day of the click, which is, you know, 14 days for sponsored brand or for any vendor central, seven days for sponsored products. And now you're bringing in like DSP and, you know, uh, sponsored display, different um, VCPMs, view-based attribution. And so now it's like trying to, have a cohesive end-to-end -end story. It's not possible, it's not feasible, uh, but what you can do with the data that you have is you can, you know, it, it's a mix of art and science. You can read the tea leaves. If you, if you can figure out 
the impact, which is why, you know, advertising contribution to total sales, right? That's a, a useful metric and that is leading into the tacos discussion, right? Mm -hmm. You may drive the traffic externally. If you're tracking, like, you know, put attribution tags aside, you know, if you got picked up on Shark Tank, you're going to see that hit in your sessions, right? You're going to see a volatility in your conversion rate, maybe good, maybe bad, right? You may see more efficiency in your ads. You may see a spike in your brand uh, advertising keywords because people are typing in your brand exactly and they're clicking through and you're having to pay for these clicks. But it's a combination of like, I understand what's going on in the business generally and the marketplace and the activities that we've, uh, that we've taken. And I can see across these data sets and understand how these metrics correlate to each other, that I can then generate a story or a, an opinion about what's happening, uh, measure it down to the, the impact or the output for the metrics that we're managing to, you know, ultimately profitability, let's talk tacos, uh, that now you can, once you've brought the, this disparate information together, postulated your theory, then it's just a conversation of what's, this is what we think happened. What's the strategy that we want to go moving forward, considering uh, how the dynamics have changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, what you said is, is exactly the case with Amazon. There are all kinds of, you know, dynamics and you can never reconcile things. So I'm, kind of old school i'd like things to add up yeah i wish <laughs> and, and uh, with amazon it never adds up so uh so i came up with this whole uh way of looking at things especially over time is i first of all i tell all my clients if you're gonna drive external traffic use attribution tags mm -hmm. and then you can fetch that data and then then you can calculate your organic traffic by subtracting the paid that that those reports are available your yep. paid sales minus your external sales with attribution tag sales there you have your organic traffic and then you can track that as a percentage over time as percentage of total sales mm -hmm. and then your paid sales as percentage of total sales then you have an idea where things are Frankly, external sales usually are negligible for most people, either because they don't use the tags or mm -hmm. they don't get external traffic. They rely yeah. on advertising. But I have something that I want to ask you. I have a metric. I have actually three metrics. I want to tell you one of them. If you take total sales you generated in any time frame mm -hmm. and then divide by total number of clicks that you your listing received advertising clicks are we talking clicks or sessions total total sessions sessions okay straight off the business report okay doesn't that give you the value of each click so say it again your total, total sales total sales divide by number of sessions. So would that give you, are you saying, would that give you your ROAS? Like 
What, what's, no, what's the metric? I'm saying this is a, a whole new metric that I'm trying to come up with. That would, so, that would be dollar per session, right? Dollar per session, right. Yeah. Okay. So now think about this. If you are tracking that over time and it starts to go down, what does that tell you? And it starts to go up. It tells you something, right? Uh, it tells you it went up or down. But then the question is where, why, what drove it, right? right. You know, in the, the factors there, you know, it's not perfect because the you don't have all the, the inputs, right? But it could be your uh, conversion rate went up, right? Your conversion rate went down. Your ASP went up. Your ASP went down. Your AOV went up. Your AOV went down. Units per order went up. Units per order went down. But trying to go and pinpoint exactly what happened, I mean, I have to think about it. I think the data is not going to map as perfectly as you want it to. As you know, Amazon often loses inventory or overcharges fees. With Arti, you can now recover up to 30% of your lost revenue at a monthly flat rate of only $99 with no commission fees for unlimited reimbursements, you can increase your bottom line. Their automated Amazon-compliant process ensures hassle-free refunds. Visit www.getarty.com forward slash legends and sign up today to get one month free and discover your recovery potential. Well, you could then translate that same dollar per session. Mm -hmm. Each one of those paid organic and also uh, external. And then when you look at it over time, you can see where the where the drop mm -hmm. is. And then you can, it would be easier to tie it back. Because as you know, there are so many things going on. It's very hard yeah. to, to really isolate. And but this way, it's those three buckets ultimately is generating the sales. And then yep. if you can narrow it down to the bucket, and then from that bucket, I tell you another one. Now you take the paid sales, mm -hmm. you've got five different campaigns, well, yep. four categories, about really five, because if you split sponsored brand into video and brand, and now you've got five, you can mm -hmm. calculate that number also for each one of those campaign types. So now you, you are even breaking it down further. And then once you do that, then you have something that you can hone in on a lot more precisely. I don't know. I'm just uh, trying to come up well, with I mean, I, I mean, potentially if the, if the data is there, uh, like that would be another way to have a cross advertising and organic comparison. I think the the challenge uh, is you're relying on sessions data. And if you wanted to go find out why, right, you have to go to the detail page sales and traffic by child item report, which where you get the ASIN level details. Um, one of the limitations of that report is if you pulled that report every day, right, pulled it every day for a month and then aggregated it, and then you went and pulled that same report and pulled it for the month, your sessions aren't going to match. Your unit session percent isn't going to match. And the reason is, is because if you do not have a sale during the time period that you selected, Amazon does not 
does not populate any sessions for that ASIN, that ASIN SKU? Well, the data changes. It so also changes. That's This is a separate issue. The data can be restated when they back out bot traffic. So that always happens. But yeah. this is this is a uh, peculiarity with how they presented, which we've had to deal with this because we're we're trying to aggregate up from the lowest level, which would be ASIN level sale, ASIN level performance at a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But if I want to show like week over week performance and I built it from the ASIN level and I went into the business reports and pulled the full week versus the full week, the data is going to be different. And this is just what, for whatever reason, Amazon has, has had this treatment, which is another, uh, it's another gap difficulty with, you know, trying to track trends. If you're at scale, like this doesn't matter, but if you're, you know, you're launching a new SKU and it's not getting traffic, you don't know, you know, it didn't get a sale and you just pumped a lot of uh, outside external traffic into it. And you're saying, why is there no sessions? Like that could be a reason if it didn't convert. Yeah. So. This is more like the 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 dirty laundry once you go uh, deep into the nuance of Amazon's data that always presents these challenges. Yeah. Right? So well, you know what we found was because we, we were doing this. So we were fetching the data daily mm -hmm. on business reports at child level. Yep. Child days. And we were doing it manually. To, to test out the algorithm. And then once everything was all established, we automated it. Mm -hmm. When the SPAPI came out and then they they started to uh, release the business reports yeah. data, we automated it. And sure enough, the data is different. So my team member who, who works on it, he says, Nick, the data is different. And no, what he found was the data we fetched manually, he compared against the data that was fetched through automation. Mm -hmm. And the two did not match. Yep. So I said, okay, there are several data points there. Which one is not matching? So he, uh, he started looking into it further. And what he found is sessions match the uh, USP doesn't match. And also order item sales don't match. Yeah. When we looked into it further, and then you do a little bit of a reverse engineering, then we realized what was going on. Because what Amazon was doing was applying the same attribution mm -hmm. tool to also change the purchase activity in the business reports. So in fact, fetching it daily is not a good idea. Yep. Unless you're fetching it daily every day for the past 14 days. Right. Now we have a different situation. I'd like your take on it. As you know, they have this brand tailored promotions, new, new feature. If you go in there, there are nine different campaigns you can run. Mm -hmm. One of them is abandoned cart. Mm -hmm. It goes up to 90 days. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is this. Business reports and search query performance. 
if somebody runs that brand tailored promotion to, mm -hmm. to get the uh, abandoned cart people who still has the item in their cart, it's up to 90 days, they can keep it. So the clicks have already been registered as sessions to the keyword as well as business reports. When they make the sale as a result of that campaign, what date does the sale register to? Is it registered to the original click date or is it registered to the date of the purchase? So they would say it's the first click attribution. Um, I don't know the window, though, that they would apply it for. 90 days? I don't know if they're doing it 90 days. Do they do it? I don't know. It may be buried in the API documentation. But what, one other thing with the, the where the business reports can be wrong, Amazon may or may not remove from the business reports data a sale that was canceled. Right? So if you looked at the all orders report, which I would say is a source of truth when it comes to orders, ordering information, because you've got the status like pending, uh, canceled, uh, fulfilled, right? And try to do a one-to-one -one comparison between the business report as well as the all orders report. You'll see variability. Some of that we've traced back to uh, a customer canceled a unit in their order. It's still reflected in the business report. It's not showing in the all orders report. The other is if you've ever looked at the deep, uh, DPST child item versus uh, DPST by date. One includes tax and the other does not. So even within there, you're going to have discrepancies, which you could, other than the uh, uh, the canceled order, you could get them to tie back and figure out which fields are being reported uh, in the, the by date versus by a child item. Yeah. I mean, the, the performance-related data really has nothing to do with the the accounting related data which is the order report and the taxes and all that stuff because there's yeah. so many different things I, I tell you especially for fba sellers there are inventory losses there's reimbursements oh, yeah. there's clawbacks <laughs> and you name it i mean so and then you you have those as a separate line item so where do they fit in the whole performance they don't fit anywhere so it's a mm -hmm. it's an accounting thing I think it's a good idea always, I, I say, your accounting, you keep it separate. And there you're watching only two, three numbers. Yeah. What are the percentages for your advertising? Yep. Compared to your sales, your fulfillment, all things related to FBA. And what is that percentage? And also I say, watch your refund rate. That's very important. Yeah, true. The settlements report, that's a whole separate beast, right? Yes. The, trying to tie that back to your operational, your business reports. My recommendation is like, understand your settlements report, understand your, you know, essentially your fully landed cost uh, at Amazon, understand what Amazon's gonna take from out of your margins, uh, and then understand what you can afford to invest in advertising, right? And so once you establish like this is the, and this is back, back to the start here, tacos is how much I can afford to invest or how much I am investing uh, that is going to come off of everything else that I have baked from my top line rev, the fees that Amazon's going to take, uh, the the cost of getting that product to Amazon in the first place, and then I've got you know 50 points, 40 points, 30 points, whatever that is, 
my tacos, I can afford to invest 10% in advertising and still have, you know, 20 points to continue to fund my cash flows moving forward. There's nothing worse than running, driving all this great growth, running yourself too lean in your cash flows, and then not being able to go restock your inventory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Are you able to replenish mm -hmm. in a timely manner without overstocking so that you don't run out of cash? At the same time, you don't run out of inventory. And right. That is the ultimate challenge. I always tell people, you know, you want to sell online. Look, you do things right and there's demand for your product. You've got the right price point. Mm -hmm. You're going to be successful selling. That's not the issue. The issue is inventory because it needs two things that is very hard to have in place. Number one, all the knowledge you need to accumulate and build your replenishment algorithms. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, enough cash so that you can keep buying because there's like four or five month lead time by the time you know you bring it in and all that stuff and fba transit you've yeah. got so it needs finance which means that even if you're running an extremely healthy healthy uh, business model in terms of tacos and and your landed cost and all that stuff it will still take you six to eight months before you can take a penny from the operation, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, depending on how fast you want to grow. It, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so it's always a challenge. You know, the inventory planning is this whole other beast to talk about. You can get very scientific about it. Like, what's you know, let's create a forecast. Like Amazon for vendors generating, uh, you know, your P sixty to P ninety forecast distributions down to the ASIN level, you know, sellers have, have always been a bit blind to this, which, you know, we get the request quite a bit of like, can you build a forecasting model for this? Which yes, but that's like a huge investment. And we know it's gonna be wrong because every forecast algorithm is wrong. Right. I think Amazon at some point, you know, they're doing the uh, supply chain by Amazon that launched last, last year. I. I think at some point they're going to start generating a forecast for sellers as well. Whether or not I'm right, don't know. Nobody's told me that, but it just seems logical. If they're going to have to have optimized inventory footprints for sellers, they need to be generating a forecast. Well, they are doing something. And I'm told by some sellers that it predicts fairly accurately. They're doing but something, I but they're not publishing it anywhere. Right. In the short term, this is kind of a wait and see for us. I would love for them to release that data, have parity with with the vendor side. But for brands today, like if you understand your your, you know, your vendor lead time, right? If you just follow the supply chain back, okay, you've got a third party manufacturer. Uh, if you drop a PO, what's their time to production? Once it's produced, what's their time for you to receive it? Uh, once you received it, what's the turnaround time for you to be able to ship that into Amazon? Okay, so is that two weeks? Is that six weeks? Is that three months? Right. If if you have that and you and you essentially understand, here's my lead time, right? And then if you're looking at your current inventory at Amazon, and the challenge here is like predicting seasonality is always going to be the problem. So you can't take eyes off the road here. 
But if you just understand what's my weeks of cover and set a threshold, like I've got six weeks of lead time that I want to plan for, I want to set an alert that I get notified at when I've got eight weeks of cover based on my trailing 30 days of sales. Uh, then I at least have a prompt to go dive in and say, do I actually need to take action on this and get ahead of that PO? I think that it's very difficult. Amazon is doing some things to make this more apparent. I don't think it's uh, it's hard to find and it kind of gets buried in you know uh, all the noise and the alerts that Amazon sends your way. But I think that like having, if especially if you're in charge of the operations, like just understanding your lead time, understanding your current weeks of cover, you know, that's going to fluctuate as you get spikes in demand. Accounting for that, you just need that signal to say, oh, I'm getting lead here. Let's go dive in and make a decision on whether or not we need to place an additional PO to support this demand based on not just here's what the data said, but any recent trends in the business. You know, what else is also uh, making things complicated? Because of this whole idea of offering more value and then in the process increasing the average price, mm -hmm. item price, people have packs and bundles. Yep. So, of course, they are producing them on the fly as they make up their FBA shipments. So now they've got the components in stock, but not the actual final product. Mm -hmm. So having that pipeline of potential assembly item yep. versus the individual components, and of course the predictions or the forecast will be on the final assembly item. That's anyway. the sub-assembly problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have one question as my last question to you. For our listeners, how do you measure lifetime customer value? Well, how I measure it uh, or how we measure it is we take the trailing 25 months, basically 20 trailing 25 months of revenue uh, divided by your total unique customers. That would be the simplest way to get to it. Okay. Total revenue divided by total unique customers. Yep. So that, that math would work. There are other sub-metrics there that are interesting, like what's my new versus repeat customer revenue, right? What's my lifetime value for a repeat customer versus a one-time customer? Right? You can see mass distortions there. What the, the original calculation I give you is the blended version of it. Uh, and once you have that, like the, it's endless, the things that you can do to go dive into it further. The cohort analysis that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, what one of the things that we do is we'll tag uh, every every customer order that comes in, we will uh, label it whether or not it's a their first purchase uh, and the the ASINs that they purchased in that first purchase, and if they come back and and buy again, we'll label them as a repeat customer. And what we can do with this is essentially, you know, you have a Prime Day event, you ran a deep discount. Okay, you saw a spike in your new customer acquisitions, right? A lot of new customers filled your mix in that week. You look at it three months later, six months later, you know, now your number of repeat customers for that week has been restated because they came back and purchased from you before. But with that third layer, you can now measure like what events did I conduct that were great for acquiring new customers that ultimately did convert into repeat customers. So we've seen this in, the, in this analysis, we've seen this go a couple of ways. 
Some customers are, you know, they're new customers, you know, Prime Day, great example, ran a discount, uh, a lot of deal hunters there. Those customers became repeat customers the next time we ran a deep discount. So they were deal shoppers. They weren't exactly the, the persona that we're trying to build, whether or not it makes it's two sales, right? Or, or whatever the value is, but it's a, an additional like nuanced layer to the actual health of the customers that you're acquiring. Once you've got like all this data and the data is overwhelming, but once you can start doing these cohorts and segmenting, uh, there's a lot of insights that you can get into your customers. You know, Amazon is starting to present some of this, like they do the segmentation of like new to brand customers. Like this is one right. of the reasons, like I want the data myself because that's just one, one metric. That's just one part of it. It doesn't exactly help me make the deeper decisions and answer the questions uh, that ultimately, you know, brands are coming up with. Well, Todd, sounds like you and I can talk data all day long. You turn the camera off, we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to, uh, you know what? I have asked several of my guests to come back and uh, do another session. Maybe we should do that because this is great conversation and uh, people learn a lot. So, I mean, I learned, frankly, after the, I, I've been in Amazon ecosystem for 20 years. <laughs> and and you, today you, I learned something. You, you've got me. I, I've got, I'm at 14 years at this point. Okay. 2004, I sent an email to one of the Amazon guys. Those days, it was early uh, for them to be selling in health and beauty. There was beauty category and there was health and personal care category. And both categories had the same item. And uh, it was a mess. Mm. Now, uh, I sent an email and I, it was a closed category. And I said, I'd like to be a seller. And they said, well, why should we accept you? Because this is a closed category. And I said, well, that would be a big mistake on Amazon's part <laughs> because we are the online retail arm of uh, one of the major wholesalers in the Northeast. And it's true, no BS. And um, they said, well, can you send us an example of some items you plan to sell and the prices you plan to sell them at? And so I did. And, and the next email was, okay, you are in. Here is your invite. 2004. It took me five years to figure out how to play the buy box. And then I built this whole <laughs> machinery that took me from 60 orders a day to 2,000 orders a day. Yeah, I think, I mean, so much has changed. Like oh, from, yeah. From 2004 to 2010 to, you know, 2014 to 2020 to now, like. Oh, yeah. It's only accelerating. It's only getting more complicated, unfortunately. So, Todd, uh, tell us how can people reach you and give us your contact information. Sure. Well, uh, my company, again, is uh, Mixshift, uh, which can be found at www.mixshift.io. Uh, my name, Todd Vanderstelt. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm the only one out there. Okay, great. I'm sure you'll hear from people. You'll definitely hear from me again. And thank you for being here. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Before you go, make sure to sign up with Arti and claim your lost revenue. Visit www.getarti.com forward slash legends to register. You will get one month free and experience Arti's features. Sign up now at www.getarti.com forward slash legends.
Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.